For an interactive version of this episode, subscribe to Criminal AF, available wherever you listen to podcasts, or visit www.criminalafpod.com. I don't know how this story could get any more tragic, but now we find out that police missed a series of opportunities to detect Bernardo on the uh, kidnappings and rapes of Christian French and Leslie Mahaffey. Uh, there were tips coming in as early as uh, 1989, 1990. Bernardo's defense lawyer, John Rosen, that Tammy was sexually assaulted by his client five months earlier in July 90, after Carla Hamalka put powdered value and her baby sister's spaghetti sauce. But Bernardo claimed Homoka watched while he raped the girl on Carla's bedroom floor. Then he dropped her off on a quiet street and never heard anything more. Bernardo insisted he and Homoka were equal partners in the crimes and the three-way set. Bernardo admitted he kidnapped and raped Leslie Mahaffey and French, but he denied killing them. This episode of the Serial Holic contains descriptions of disturbing graphic content, which may be offensive to some people. Listener discretion is advised. It was Christmas Eve morning on December 24th, 1990, in St. Catharines, Ontario. The arctic blast gave you a chill to the bone as the snow crunched under your feet. Rather than celebrating the holiday by opening gifts, filling their home with laughter and memories, one family was braving the frost as they trudged their way from their driveway, up the shoveled walking path, and into their home that now seemed so empty, so sad. There would be no more festivities this Christmas. No laughter, no big holiday meal, and the only memory that would be made would destroy the meaning of Christmas from this family for years to come. More than likely, forever. Carol and Dorothy Homolka's 15-year-old daughter, Tammy, had died earlier that morning, just a little over a week shy of her 16th birthday. They had a traditional Christmas celebration the night before. The occasion was light, just a few family members. Carol and Dorothy turned in a little early, excited for what the next couple of days would bring. Tammy stayed up. She felt a bit privileged to be considered old enough to hang out with her older sister and her fiancé. Tammy adored her sister, and may have also had a secret crush on her soon-to-be brother-in-law. He was very kind to her, maybe even a bit flirtatious. So for Tammy, spending time alone with them would bring her so much joy. To celebrate the holiday and her upcoming birthday, Tammy's sister and fiancé would pour her drink after drink to the point where Tammy would pass out. But rather than waking up the next morning, hungover, Tammy, still unconscious, began choking on her own vomit. Her sister and fiancé claimed that they tried to revive her. When their efforts fell short, 
They called an ambulance, and the rest of the family awoke to the panic scene. Carol and Dorothy rushed to the hospital to be by Tammy's side. Tammy never woke up and died shortly after. Just 15 years old with so much life yet to live, cut short from what was believed to be a night of celebration. Believed to be. Because this is only part of the story. The rest, as you will soon hear, is much more twisted, sadistic, and downright repulsive. It will leave you scratching your head and questioning the ties that bind a family. This is the story of two people who would become known as the Ken and Barbie Killers. Paul Bernardo and Tammy's own sister, Carla Homolka. I'm Dave Jari, and I am the Serial Holic. Carla was just 17 years old when she met 23-year-old Paul Bernardo on October 17, 1987. Carla, an animal lover, worked for the number one pet center with the hope that one day she would become a veterinarian. On this day in October, Carla and a few co-workers had taken a trip north to the city of Scarborough for a pet convention and checked into a hotel. Later that evening, Carla and another young woman snuck down to the hotel lounge. Moments later, in walked Paul Bernardo. As soon as their eyes met, it was instant attraction. Paul joined the girls, and Carla was head over heels. Within a couple of hours, Carla had joined Paul in his hotel room, where they had sex for the first time. From that moment on, the two were inseparable. Paul would travel the hour and a half from Scarborough to St. Catharines several times a week. This was also the period of time that Scarborough was making the news for other reasons. Although there are small areas of high crime, Scarborough was considered a nice place to settle down and raise a family, as many still do. But between the years of 1986 and 1992, Scarborough, St. Catharines, and the areas in between, it was anything but. During these years, there was a predator on the loose, stalking women from the ages of 15 to 22, mostly at bus stops. The first known assault occurred on May 4, 1987, when a 21-year-old woman was followed from the bus stop and raped in front of her parents' home. The second occurred 10 days later, on May 14th. A 19-year-old was also followed home and raped in her backyard. Then July 17th, a young woman of unknown age was physically and viciously assaulted. The monster tried to rape her, but when she fought back, he fled the scene. There was an attempted rape of a 15-year-old girl on September 19, 1987. The would-be rapist broke into the home and jumped on the girl, holding a knife to her throat. He beat her and bit her ear. The attempted rape was thwarted when the girl's mother entered her room and screamed. By the time Carla and Paul had met, Scarborough had four reported sexual assaults and things would just escalate from there. The Toronto police issued a warning to the public about traveling alone at night after a 15-year-old girl was raped on December 16th. The media gave the attacker a moniker, the Scarborough Rapist, when he raped a 17-year-old girl on December 23rd, 1987. 
He remained quiet until April 18, 1988, when he attacked a 17-year-old. And on May 25th, the Scarborough rapist was nearly caught when a Metro investigator saw a man hiding behind a tree. The investigator gave chase, but the rapist got away. 40 kilometers away in the town of Mississauga, Ontario, an 18-year-old was raped on May 30th, 1988. On October 4th, the Scarborough rapist assaulted a woman of unknown age. She fought him off and the attacker fled, but not before stabbing her in the thigh and buttocks. The assaults were getting more violent each time, moving from penetration with just his penis and fingers to inserting sticks, knives, rocks, anything to bring total humiliation to his victims. He again raped an 18-year-old woman in the backyard of her parents' house on November 16th. A neighbor intervened and interrupted an intended rape on December 27, 1988. On June 20, 1989, neighbors were alerted to the screams of a young woman and her attacker ran off. There were rapes of a 22-year-old on August 15, 1989, a 15-year-old on November 21, a 19-year-old on December 22, and the last known rape of the Scarborough Rapist on May 26. 1990. This time, the 19-year-old saw her attacker and gave police a detailed description. Two days later, the sketch was released to the public and tips poured in. One man in particular was reported by a bank employee as fitting the description and another report came from a woman who reported that the rapist could be one of her husband's friends, whom she claimed bragged about his sexual exploits and often spoke of his love for rough, aggressive sex. In November of 1990, after sifting through thousands of possible suspects, police finally brought in this man. He introduced himself as Paul Bernardo, who had recently moved to St. Catharines in May to live with Carla and their family. He was pleasant, helpful, and willingly gave police a DNA sample. Paul Bernardo was considered handsome and confident, someone who would never have a problem finding a date, let alone be perceived as being the sadistic, sex-hungry rapist. DNA was in its infancy back in 1990. It would be another two years before the Scarborough rapist would be revealed. child, Bernardo was perceived to be the perfect son. Polite, always smiling, cute with dimples. Every parent would comment on how amazing this boy was. But behind the dimples and groomed exterior, the seeds of discontent were being planted. Bernardo's father was a known pedophile, being charged with sexual assault of a minor in 1975. It is also alleged that he sexually assaulted his adolescent daughter as well. Bernardo's mother would become withdrawn from society and her family. At the age of 16, his mother told Bernardo that he was conceived through an affair and that the man he thought was his father wasn't. This enraged Bernardo, who would never look at his mother or any woman the same. He would constantly refer to his mother as a slut and a whore. Through his teen years, Bernardo would present himself as the life of the party the man everyone wanted to be around, 
and for the women, the handsome, funny charmer who was irresistible. Once women began to date him, however, his charm quickly turned to rage. He would force himself sexually upon them, and if they resisted, he would physically assault them, and the relationships would end. He would have no problem rebounding, though. Bernardo would turn his charm back on for the next woman he crossed paths with. Carla Hamulka's upbringing was completely opposite. She was raised in a loving home. The oldest of three daughters, Carla was popular, funny, and never had a problem making friends. During her teen years, Carla would begin to turn to a darker place. The bright, bubbly young woman would now spend more time in her room and adopting more of a goth lifestyle. The one thing that really made her happy was when she began working at Number One Pet Center when she was 15. She absolutely loved working with animals. In 1987, her co-workers thought it would be a good idea to bring the now 17-year-old Homolka to a pet convention. Carla lacked self-confidence, so when she crossed paths with the outgoing charmer and Paul Bernardo, she just met her knight in shining armor and would do anything to keep this dream alive. The first year of their relationship was everything Homolka wished for. Her parents loved him, her sisters adored him, and he was quickly welcomed in as part of the family. There was one sticking point that would stand between Bernardo and Hamulka, and that was Carla's virginity, or lack thereof. Hamulka wasn't a virgin when the two first met, and Paul would bring this point up from time to time, conditioning her to feel ashamed of this fact. By May of 1990, Bernardo had moved in with the Hamulka family, and even though Bernardo couldn't have Carla's virginity, there was someone else's he could have. Carla's youngest sister, 15-year-old Tammy. After some persistence, Carla agreed that in lieu of her own virginity, she would offer Bernardo her sisters. In July of 1990, Hamulka slipped a sedative into Tammy's spaghetti sauce. Once she passed out, Bernardo began to assault Tammy, but after about a minute, Tammy began to wake up. Still disoriented, Tammy was dressed and had no recollection of what had occurred. On December 23rd, the Homolka family was having a Christmas party. Carol and Dorothy even consented to allowing Tammy to have a couple of drinks. As the night died down and everyone was getting ready for bed, Tammy was allowed to stay up with Carla and Paul. Bernardo kept giving Tammy drinks, in which one of them had an animal tranquilizer mixed in that Carla had stolen from her job as a veterinarian's assistant. Carla promised Bernardo he could have Tammy's virginity as a Christmas present. This time, Tammy was kept unconscious with a rag of halothane placed over her mouth. Bernardo raped Tammy as her parents lay asleep not far away. This continued for some time before Tammy began vomiting and stopped breathing. Homolka and Bernardo quickly got her dressed hid any evidence including bedding, and called for an ambulance. As the rest of the family rushed to the hospital to be by Tammy's side, Carla and Paul stayed home and finished getting rid of any evidence. The police who remained at the house to question Bernardo didn't think it was odd that Hamulka had decided to do laundry in the early morning hours. 
Tammy never regained consciousness and died at the hospital. Her cause of death was ruled an accident, even though there were burn marks on her face from the halothane. You've listened to countless hours of podcast episodes, and I'm sure you've thought, I would love to start my own podcast. That's how I started the Holic, and I can tell you firsthand that starting this podcast was one of the best decisions I have ever made. But based on my experience, it could be overwhelming if you don't know where to begin. Well, that's where Buzzsprout comes in. Buzzsprout is by far the easiest and best way to launch a professional podcast. They will help get your podcast off the ground and into every major podcasting platform like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and so many more. You also get a great-looking podcast website, detailed analytics, tools to promote your episodes, and the list keeps going. That's not all. Buzzsprout publishes new blog posts, podcast episodes, and YouTube videos every week, so you can learn everything you need to know to start your own podcast. To join over 100,000 other podcasters and receive your $20 Amazon gift card, follow the link in the episode description. This lets Buzzsprout know that the Serialholic sent you and helps support the show. Begin your podcasting journey today with Buzzsprout, the easiest way to start a podcast. What's good, everybody? This is Dave. I'd like to invite you to become a Serialholic by joining Patreon. Lots of great perks are available, including a free gift, exclusive chat group, monthly AMAs, and much more depending on the tier you select. Join me now by going to patreon.com backslash the Serialholic. That's patreon.com backslash the Serialholic. Thank you all for your continued support. Now back to the episode. After the death of Tammy, Amolka and Bernardo quickly moved past the loss and were focused on their upcoming wedding. They would get annoyed with the rest of the Hamolka family for grieving Tammy's loss, rather than being happy for the upcoming nuptials. As Bernardo would say, how much time do you need to grieve? As the wedding plans moved forward, Bernardo's lust for virgins intensified. It is reported that Bernardo had brought a young teenager into the Homolka home in January of 1991, not even a month after Tammy's murder, and sexually assaulted her, later dropping her back off on the street. They left the Homolka home and moved to 57 Bayview Drive in Port Delusi. Bernardo and Homolka recorded everything they did on video camera to capture memories within their new home. On June 7, 1991, Carla invited a teenager she knew from work to have a girls' night. The teen, only known as Jane Doe, went shopping and out to eat with Hamolka, and they finished the day off by returning to Carla's home to have drinks. Hamolka mixed the animal tranquilizer in Jane Doe's drinks, and she lost consciousness. Carla then called Bernardo to tell him that she got him an early wedding present. Bernardo repeatedly raped Jane Doe throughout the night. Jane Doe awoke as if nothing had happened and thought she just had too much to drink. On June 15th, Hamolka was asleep in her bed when she was awakened by Bernardo. He told her that he had a girl downstairs and was going to keep her as a sex slave. The girl, 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey from Burlington, had gathered with friends the previous night to mourn a couple of classmates who were killed in a car accident. Mahaffey, who was known to test her boundaries and breaking curfew, 
was told that if she wasn't home by a certain time, the door would be locked. By the time the group of friends went their separate ways, it was one o'clock in the morning. Leslie tried her front door, but it was locked. She went to a nearby payphone and called a friend to see if she could stay there, but the friend's mother said no. Leslie figured she would just go back home and someone would open the door eventually and she would face her punishment. Along the way back, she crossed paths with Bernardo. He told Leslie that he was casing a house that he was going to rob. Unfazed, Leslie asked Bernardo for a smoke. When they got to his car, Bernardo grabbed Leslie, shoved her in the car, and blindfolded her. Back at the house, Bernardo viciously raped Leslie orally, vaginally, and anally. This continued for several hours. In the morning, Hamolka mixed what she thought was a lethal dose of tranquilizer and gave it to Leslie. They thought she was dead, but Leslie let out a gasp. So Bernardo allegedly strangled her to death. They placed Leslie Mahaffey's body in the basement of their home. The next day, they hosted a Father's Day dinner with the Hamolka family, with Leslie's body still downstairs. Once everyone left, Bernardo and Hamolka decided it was best to dismember Leslie's body. Two weeks later, on June 29, 1991, Bernardo and Hamolka got married in an elaborate ceremony. On the same day, 18 miles away, in Lake Gibson, a fisherman noticed concrete blocks in the water. To his horror, sticking out of one of the blocks was a human foot. The body was identified through dental records as being that of 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey. In August of 1991, Jane Doe was invited back to Hamulka's for a night of drinking. Again, Hamulka mixed the tranquilizer into her drink. While being raped, Jane Doe stopped breathing and Carla called for an ambulance, but ended up calling back to say everything was all right once Jane Doe began breathing again. Jane Doe survived the night and had no idea what was being done to her until it was revealed a year later. Nine months after the death of Leslie Mahaffey, on April 16, 1992, another young girl turned up missing. 15-year-old Kristen French of St. Catharines. This time, Carla joined Paul thinking it would be easier if they both worked together. Just as school was letting out, Hamolka and Bernardo noticed Kristen walking home alone. They pulled into a church parking lot. Carla got out of the car with a roadmap, pretending to be a tourist, and asked Kristen for directions. Once Carla had her distracted, Bernardo grabbed Kristen and pulled her into the car and sped off back to their home. There, Kristen was tied up and savagely raped through the Easter weekend. She was believed to be killed by strangulation on Easter Sunday, shortly before Carla and Paul went to the Homolka family's house for Easter dinner. Kristen French was found on August 30th, two weeks after her disappearance, in a ditch along a roadside. She was naked and had her hair cut off. Authorities quickly speculated that the death of Kristen French was tied to the death of Leslie Mahaffey, 
as Mahaffey was from Burlington and found in St. Catharines, and French was from St. Catharines and found in Burlington, nearby the cemetery where Leslie Mahaffey was buried. Carla and Paul's marriage started to become rocky. Paul, feeling invincible after getting away with the rapes and murders, began beating Carla, threatening that if she said anything of the abuse, he would tell her family everything that she has done. The violence escalated, culminating in Bernardo striking Kamulka in the face and limbs with a heavy flashlight in December of 1992. Carla received several injuries, but didn't report the assault. When she returned to work, her co-workers saw the severe bruising on Carla's face and reported this to her parents. Carol and Dorothy physically removed Carla from her home, much to her disagreement. Carla was brought to the hospital where she pressed charges against Bernardo. He was arrested but released under his own cognizance. Carla later confessed to family members that Bernardo was a Scarborough rapist and he had committed the murders of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French and their rapes were caught on videotape. Carla Homolka, now speaking to the police, tells a story of domestic abuse and a sadomasochist marriage where she was a servant and had to go along with all of Bernardo's demands, painting herself as another victim of Paul Bernardo. They want to know more about the murders, but Carla's attorney was fighting for a plea deal. Meanwhile, DNA came back from the lab, showing that Paul Bernardo was in fact a Scarborough rapist. He was arrested on February 17, 1993, and police obtained a search warrant for their home with special instruction that only items related to the Scarborough case could be removed from the home and any videotapes found must be viewed within the home and not removed. The search of the home lasted 71 days and no videotapes consisting of the rapes of Mahaffey or French were found. With Carla Hamolka being the only witness to the Crown's case against Paul Bernardo, the plea deal was approved and signed on May 5, 1993. The agreement stated that Hamolka would only receive 12 years for her involvement in the kidnapping, rapes, and murders of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French. Unbeknownst to everyone involved, Bernardo had given his attorney instructions on where he could find the videotapes. They were hidden behind a light fixture in an upstairs bedroom. Bernardo's attorney withheld the videotapes from prosecution in the hopes that he would drop a bombshell when the trial started. What was the bombshell? Carla Hamolka wasn't only a victim of Bernardo's sadistic ways. She was an active participant, joining in on the rapes of Jane Doe, Leslie Mahaffey, Kristen French, and her own sister, Tammy Hamolka, sometimes with Bernardo and sometimes by herself. Also, in a part of the video, it shows Carla shortly after Tammy's death, wearing her sister's clothes and pretending to be her, performing oral sex on Bernardo as he looks at a picture of Tammy. Prior to trial, Bernardo's attorney quit, and he turned all evidence over to his new attorney, including the videotapes. 
The new attorney quickly shared the discovery with prosecution, and they were furious they were betrayed by Homolka. But the deal with the devil was done. Paul Bernardo was ultimately convicted of the Scarborough rapes and the murders of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French. He was sentenced to life with the possibility of parole after 25 years. However, the judge ruled him a dangerous offender, making it virtually impossible that he will ever be released from prison. Carla Homolka served her 12 years and was released on July 4, 2005. She married her attorney's brother and goes by Leanne Teal. Together they have three children. Her family has lived in Quebec, Antilles, Guadalupe, and back to Quebec in order to give her children a normal life. She remains one of Canada's most hated people and still maintains that Paul Bernardo was a sole aggressor and mastermind behind the rape and murder spree. This episode of The Serial Holic was written by me, Dave Jari. Thank you all for listening, and thank you for being a serial holic.